Welcome back to the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast with your host, John Fedro. Tune in weekly, plus listen to past episodes designed to make you money, save you time, and give you confidence as an active mobile home investor. Now, here's your host, John Fedro. All right. Welcome back to the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast. This is episode number 18. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to be talking about something, as we always do, a little bit different. And this is certainly a little bit different. Um, Dan, thank you so much for being on the line um, and and joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, of course. Now, this is really cool because... This is something that, I mean, I like to think of all the strategies that we have in, you know, real estate investing, mobile home investing, every little thing that we learn, you know, uh, how to purchase, how to wholesale homes and how to purchase them subject to the underlying mortgage and working with Section 8 and, you know, all these little things, they're kind of bullets in our belt. And what we're going to be talking about today, actually brokering homes for sellers, you know, not investing in their property right away, but brokering their home, you know, what that means uh, what that's been doing for your business, how people that are listening can get involved with that, and again, add it as a bullet you know, to their belt, so to speak. So I think that that's super cool. Um, before we get into that, uh, please kind of tell everyone listening um, sort of a little bit about yourself, sort of where you're investing, how long you've been investing, deals under your belt, things like that. Sure. Absolutely. So I've been investing in mobile homes a little over two years now, full time. Um, was in the corporate world. That was just not for me. So I needed to find an escape and um, you know discover mobile home investing. Um, now I, I work in the Colorado uh, marketplace, and um, yeah, so just doing thing, doing it out here full time um, between investing as well as brokering homes. Right on. So full-time mobile homes. That's awesome. I love the full-time aspect of it. Heck yeah. And just congratulations for getting out of, you know, you know that you were the architect that, you know, could design your future. You didn't want to be where you were. You're busting your butt, you know, doing what you're doing. So it's not like you're just sitting around all day. Um, But please, if you would kind of tell folks um, that aren't in Colorado or don't know anything about your market, sort of uh, your market's different than most others in the country. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What homes are, like even if it's a junky home, you know, can it be, will it sell quickly or, yeah, what's the market like? I guess if you could sum it up in a few sentences. Sure. So um, right now in the marketplace is very strong with cash buyers. Um, there's a shortage of homes out here. And, um, you know, we're getting people that are buying manufactured homes that were people looking for single family homes uh, about seven years ago. So they have that type of buying power with a lot of cash. Um, junkier homes, uh, I guess that need work and maybe older models, those are actually selling between anywhere quickly between ten to $25,000. Um, and then, you know, uh, we've seen homes sell on the hundreds of thousands. So um, uh, the prices vary, depends on the park, but there's a lot of buying power out here. And it makes it really competitive as an investor to try to buy for, say, um, as I guess an affordable, cheap price. Um, we have to compete with the buyers that are looking to live in the home. So um, it's it's very competitive, 
because uh, you're just competing with so many people that are just trying to even live in a, in the house as opposed to just invest. So, um, you know, homes don't really last too long on the marketplace. Um, so, so for example, yeah, it's a competitive market. <laughs> to say the least. What's your so of the homes that you're brokering now, the also the ones that you're investing in and that you're that you currently have, you know, for sale ballpark like what are those figures nothing below 10,000 or nothing below 20,000 yeah so we have a home right now listed as it's actually an investment property uh, for $59,000 I just sold a listing last week for $43,000 um, I have another one tied up on contract for 48,000 and um, I have uh well, an appointment tomorrow for a home that's in the 30s. And then uh, I just picked up a junker, a fixer-upper, double-wide, old double-wide that we're trying to get rid of for like fifteen to 16000 if possible. And that's a handyman, you're selling it as a fixer-upper? Ooh, this is a handyman special, all right. Um, <laughs> the person that's going to yeah, person that's gonna move in this house is going to be somebody that's, first and foremost looking for a, a three bedroom for his family and his handy and uh, we'll take up the opportunity to you know fix up a, a good location a home that's in a good location the, the lot is perfect it's got a nice yard um it's spacious but it needs a lot of work so. that sort of leads me to a question um of the ones that you're investing in because um, we'll talk about sort of your approach and then how you broker and you know what that's mean for your business meant for your business but when you're investing in mobile homes, you kind of painted a, and maybe this is just in passing, I mean, I know that this isn't the case, but you painted sort of a bleak picture, you know, it's, it's nearly impossible to get into a home for, let's say, under a couple thousand dollars. When you're investing in homes, um, is that the case? Are you able to pick them up for under five, ten thousand dollars $10,000? Are they all pieces of junk? You know, is the seller just super yeah. motivated for some reason or a combination of all that? So that's where the marketing, you know, really has to come in effect. If I'm if I'm looking for homes on Craigslist to buy, then I'm really competing with, say, that buyer's pool. But through the marketing of just being a specialist in the industry, um, you know, having my cards out there, my flyers out there, the, the relationships with the park managers or even for sale signs on my listing, um, people will give me a call. And so the homes that we invest in, we typically try to get ones that are at least under $10,000. Um, under five would be perfect, but I guess compared to some of the stories that I've heard in other states uh, where you can get them for, you know, quite frequently uh, under $5,000, um, that's just not the case that I've found, at least in Colorado. Maybe I got to do a better job at negotiating, but um, <laughs> I, uh, as it's just uh, I haven't come across too many that are under you know that price. Although when they are, we take advantage of them and make an investment. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So when you are closing them, just bottom line, you know you're aiming for under ten grand. Um, you're still finding that it's just um, with, and I, I think this was actually really important because this correlates to every state. Is you know if you're an investor just trying to you know I'm just going to go on Craigslist. I'm just going to see what you know, is in the paper, I'm just going to drive through some parks. If you're just looking at what's on a list or what's advertised, everyone else has that capability. Everybody can go on Craigslist. Um, an old saying, you know, if, it's, if, it's, if, if the lead's on a list, the deal doesn't exist. 
Now, I don't completely agree with that because we get, quote-unquote, deals from Craigslist and, you know, different sources that are public record kind of thing. But I agree with you what you said. This business is marketing. A lot of the homes we find and invest in are not advertised places or they're poorly advertised. So the marketing that you're doing, um, you kind of, you know, just glazed over that pretty quickly. But that's super huge. And, you know, the deals that you're finding, both brokering and to invest in, you know, pat on the back to you because you found them, you're talking to them, you're negotiating them. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to, you know, shout you out for that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. The, um, when you are uh, brokering these homes, now are you, does your marketing, just out of curiosity, does is your marketing towards the broker side, like, hey, I, I want to list your property, and then, oh, by the way, I also invest in homes? Or is it, hey, I want to buy your home, but, oh, since you're asking too much, why don't I just broker it? Or does it change up? Yeah, I think uh, depending on the price of what they're trying to get, if, if it's just, if they're asking for a really high price that's over 20000 and, you know, the buyers, uh, excuse me, the sellers are not, you know, stupid. They're very informed of how strong the marketplace is. They see their neighbors selling their homes for certain prices that far exceed um, what they bought the home for. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to knock down that price unless they're completely desperate. Um, I do let people know that I buy and sell homes. Like, that's, that's what I got in this industry for, um, is to buy and sell homes. But if I can't if I'm not going to spend that kind of money on a home, then I'm definitely going to go for the um, broker um, role and uh, see significant benefits with it. Just, you know, being in contact with the park, the neighbors, marketing, it keeps the engine going. So um, there's times where if it's a home that I don't really say care too much about, it's older, it might be even, within the sweet spot around a $10,000 price. Um, and I still don't really like it too much to buy and maybe resell. I don't want to take that gamble. I'm going to take the approach of brokering the home. Um, it's, a, it's a good no skin in the game type of uh, job that keeps you in the business. Um, and the way we, you know, we know how to market the homes and we know what the homes can go for. So without investing, it's kind of like a glorified wholesale the way we take it. So. Perfect. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later because that's as we're talking about brokering, the wholesale uh, thought comes into my mind. But, uh, but first, are you, uh, do you notice that one brokering lead, do they always lead to more deals? I mean, your, your signs in the windows, I imagine, you're, like you said, you're talking with the owners, the, na the neighbors. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, the neighbors see the signs. Um, you know, it, 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 between the investments and the brokering, I, I feel like at this current moment where I'm at right now in my business, I'm like sucked into one area that I just keep finding deals in, which is, <laughs> it's a good thing. I'm not complaining. There's not as much competition, which I'm really pleased about. Um, you know, I, I'll definitely drive over there any day to close the deal. So, um, but yeah, I, I, it definitely feeds it off of each other, the momentum. Um, and, yeah, it's been great. You know, you just got to have those signs out there and uh, talk with the manager. And Although today I did find a deal on Craigslist of one of the parks that uh, I've been working in, and uh, all I had to say is I've closed this amount of homes in the matter of uh, basically four weeks, 
and they want to meet with me tomorrow. So it's going to be a new listing again. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty uh, pumped about it. Hopefully I get it. And, uh, I'm sure I sure I will. So now, how do you um, how do you approach that, or no, how do you approach getting paid? Is it like a realtor where it's seven percent, or it's an upfront X thousand dollars, or they give you something on the back end, or mix and match? From what I've seen, my competition charges around three thousand to thirty five hundred dollars upfront. Um, I offer that, but um, I never really advise them to go for it unless they really do have the money. Um, if I know there's an opportunity, what we do uh, for you know money to be made, I try to find out what, how much they'd be willing to take without losing sleep at night. It's pretty much the question I ask them, and um, you know we come up with a base price and we do net listing. So the money comes out of the buyer's pocket. And, um, you know, it's a great way for us to get in the door with the seller. Um, first and foremost, I don't expect anybody to pay that kind of money up front, especially in affordable housing. So I don't want to even take that approach. I know it's uncomfortable, but I do bring it up just because I want them to, you know, I want to provide the other options that they feel completely, uh, at least so I'm a lot more comfortable with the other option, which would be the net listing. We do um, do commission-based uh, pricing as well, but the home has to be valued at a certain amount of money uh, for us to actually even offer that. So we find that the net listing is probably the best approach because it just gets us in the door. Um, we get to prove out our services. There's really no risk for them. Um, you know, and I do try to let people know that, you know, I am in the business of making money and, you know, there is some negotiating with the base price if, if need be, but I don't gouge uh, my customers by any means. In fact, every single um, seller that I've worked with has made money on their homes. So it's, it is pretty cool to get them what, you know, is top dollar for them on their home. Um, and then at the same time, you know, it's a gamble. On, from our perspective, you know, there's times where there's the one time where I've made $500 and then there's another time where I've made $9,000. So, um, I mean, generally the deals are more than 3000 So, you know, you get good chunks of change you, uh, from these type of deals. Can you talk about one that you're currently, uh, or you said actually in the beginning, you said that you should have one closing soon. Can you talk rough numbers on that one? And also maybe how a net listing works for folks that might not understand that? Yeah, so um, not a problem. So uh, I'm working with a seller right now. We actually have the home on contract. The buyer's just getting park approved, waiting for that uh, to take place, and I don't think we'll have any issues with it. But she's buying the home for $48,000. I have an agreement with the seller to um, sell their home, get them $42,000 cash for their home. So we're selling it for $48,000, um, signed the deal already, and it is going to be a cash purchase. Purchase. Um, I think one thing I would like to add, though, with this marketplace is, and I'm not sure if this is a characteristic throughout the, the country, but I find a lot of my cash buyers being people that want to downsize. Um, I think, you know, because the real estate market is uh, hot over here, they're taking that opportunity to sell their home, say their kids are out of college, 
or uh, maybe a divorce happened, but they see that opportunity to make money on their single-family home. So they're you know buying into something that's a lot smaller, and the cost of living is cheaper for them to to have. They don't have to have that mortgage payment anymore. Now they just lower to maybe a lot rent. So do want to just add that in there. But um, sorry if I stray away, John. No, that's fine. That is uh, sort of indicative around the country. People will come to mobile homes. You know, they're nice quality mobile homes. But, you know, they realize, you mean I can own this for, like, less than $30 a square foot versus I was just paying over 100 or 200 Like, that's, yes, like, I want this, you know. So, yeah, what you said about downsizing is, that's a fact. Yeah, you know, so with the net listings, um, you know, we just tell them, you know, your option is basically to pay us money up front or you maybe take the gamble where we sell the home for a lot more than what this base listing price is. I mean, we are in the business of making money, um, but at the same time, we're also risking not making any money and, you know, doing all the legwork, the marketing, the home showing, the getting the buyers approved by the car, taking them to the DMV, uh, handling the paperwork, the exchange, answering all the questions. There's a lot that goes to it, but, um, you know, I just let my sellers know that we are going to market the home for this amount of uh, dollars and uh, with the expectation that it is going to be brought down a little bit. Sometimes it just doesn't happen, and those are the best deals. And uh, those, are, those really are glorious. Uh, the, so that deal that I'm about to close, um, I'll be honest with you, yeah, it's been a juggernaut for attracting leads. Um, I have, I think just on Zillow alone, I've gotten about 30 people, and this has only been two weeks worth of time from this day, um, and it's already locked up on the deal. And uh, so I really only showed it to, yeah, I've showed, I only showed it to two people. I had two cancellations, and uh, she was the second person, and so I literally only put like two hours worth of time into this. I'm making six thousand dollars, so uh, it's a it's a great deal. Heck yeah! Now, the um, <laughs> do you ever have folks that are, um, you know, with this one? It, it was just so easy, it was so quick that um, you know they feel. Do they feel ever wronged by you for making so much, or is everyone pretty much, you know, just happy and happy to get what they want and happy to move on with? Their I'd life? say, I'd say. Um, 100%, everybody's happy to move on with their life. Although just recently, um, actually last week, one of the deals that I closed, um, we sold it based on my comps. I didn't think we would get the price that we had agreed upon. Um, I thought that was a stretch. And I also sold that same exact property, uh, only three months prior to like two weeks ago. And the so, you know, I had a, or like just the property. Yeah, yeah he, he bought the, yeah, same <laughs> exact property. He bought the home from me and then I had to sell it to him because he had some, I guess, medical issues. Um, but, uh, you know, he wanted to get his money back and I previously had marketed that home for, well, six weeks, and I didn't really get too many leads. The, the strongest lead that I got was the guy who purchased the home and now has to sell it. So he wanted 37000 for it, and I honestly, I thought we were going to baby sell for thirty five. But, um, you know, the market, it just goes to show the difference in, in seasons as well because that was during November, like October, November time period, and uh, this was late March, 
no, no, this was uh, April, excuse me, and uh, of 2016. And, um, yeah, the, the buyers, there's such a different pool of buyers in the springtime versus the wintertime. And it was really strong. It, this home, I had some good interest in, in it. Um, and, um, had a, a, it was between a couple from Iowa as well as a local guy. Um, truthfully, I wanted to sell to the Iowa couple cause it sounded like they were offering more money for it. But, um, you know, I showed it to the couple. They thought it was too small and I told them, all right, well, I'm just going to make a phone call and this home's going to be sold. Um, and 15 minutes later, the guy came over and we wrote up the agreement. But in that deal, um, we wrote it up and it was on the market for less than a week. And, um, so we had the base agreement for 37,000 and we sold it for 43,000, um, after having it marketed for, uh, 44,000. So, um, the seller was a little shocked that, uh, we sold the home for the price that we did and really the amount of effort that we put into in terms of work. Um, I think he was just shocked at how much we made. So we did cut out a deal with him um, to give back some money to him, just given his circumstances and everything. And, um, you know, it, it felt good to uh, work with him on that. And uh, he was definitely happy, and he did a testimonial for us and everything, and it's pretty cool. I love that. Yeah, you're doing video testimonials now. and I mean, that's so everyone listening do that you know get references and testimonials from everyone your handyman park managers buyers sellers um but yeah i thought that was really cool very very good testimonial too whenever you're um being a broker and you're um you know you know you're 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 brokering this home that you know you say to yourself or even out loud you know with a little bit of paint with, you know, some cleanup, with minor TLC, I know this home would, A, sell super quick, and B, we'd probably get, you know, 5000 more dollars. Like, do you ever do work on the home yourself or outsource it, you know, with the owner's blessing or behind their back or, you know, just for the benefit of the deal? Do you ever do that? Yeah, so um, I have helped out on some deals, but even just maybe two hours ago, I picked up a new listing and this is that old double Y that is kind of a junker. Um, all the floors were ripped out and everything. And honestly, it smells like urine. And I have a, I'm next to my uh, desk right here. I have a five gallon, uh, uh, bucket of kills. And I'm like thinking about rolling it onto the floor just to cover up the smell. And, you know, um, but yeah, there's been times where I've actually had to contribute on the deal. Um, yeah, one time I had to just, the owner was away and they were fixing up the home and they just were not meeting their dates in terms of getting the work done. And we already had it sold. Um, and uh, instead of having to keep telling the buyer that it's getting delayed, I just started painting in the house because the money that I was going to earn was totally worth my time in terms of the painting. And um, I basically became the GC for that job. But um, very seldomly do I get involved. Um, I do make recommendations for handymen or I tell them what they need to do. Um, so on that $48,000 home, um, we're going to get the dryer door fixed. We're going to get a fire alarm, or excuse me, <laughs> a smoke detector uh, installed. Um, and then just do, doing, uh, we got the stove burner, the pilot working 
so there's just some minor things, but yeah, there's times where I'll always um, chip in and advise in terms of what may need to be done. Uh, on another listing, the guy had uh, my seller didn't have his skirting completed. There was just a section of skirting that was uh, exposed and anybody who's looking underneath the home, it was kind of messy and just, it didn't really look that great. So, um, you know, we put that on and it made a world of a difference. So. Right on. Well, you're the type of broker, I mean, I, any seller should want, you know, you're, you're not just a broker, you're actually a player. You know, you invest in these homes, you know what people are looking for, you've done repair work, you've done a hefty amount of repair work on, you know, some of your investment homes, I know. Um, the question, um, every state's different. So, you know, for folks listening, you know, again, every state's a little different, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, what's the requirements to be a broker in Colorado? What does that mean? You know, are you a realtor? And then also, how did you find out those requirements? You know, yeah, how did you come to this point where you're now a broker? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, in Colorado, if you sell just more than one home, that isn't your primary residence. You have to be a dealer. And when I was reading up on the rules of the dealer, it basically said that you're allowed to sell mobile homes. So um, kind of taking a step back, um, I started my first probably like, shouldn't have waited this long, but maybe my first like eight or 10 months um, just being an investor, looking for investments. And then, I, you know, I would drive around the parks all day long, driving for dollars at every park like once a week and I kept on just seeing my competition. I was like, are these people realtors? I couldn't figure it out because, you know, they had these big presentations. Um, you know, the parks were selling their homes. They had their big banners in front of them. <laughs> and I just couldn't figure out what is going on with this, you know, situation. So um, I talked to some people that um, are in the space in other states, and they kind of gave me some ideas in terms of uh, – what I should do. And so I ended up contacting first the dealer, or excuse me, the uh, manufactured home organization in Colorado. Um, and uh, they said, yeah, I could basically sell any home that's in a park. Um, so I then checked with my lawyer. Excuse me, let me just take a step back. I, step, I talked to my lawyer first, then I talked with the manufactured home organization. And then uh, from there, I just wanted to confirm it with the head uh, or uh, what is it the uh, head of real estate basically in Colorado so I spoke with the uh, the head official in, in for that group and um, got him on the phone and you know he was cool he I told him what I wanted to do and he's like yeah no that's that's fine as long as it's personal property uh, you're allowed to basically advertise the home basically be a realtor so I'm not a realtor um, something that I'd like to be I think, um, and it probably would benefit me, but, um, as of now I'm not. Um, so yeah, but I'm, I'm basically a realtor in the manufactured home world only for personal property. So, um, it's kind of interesting. Perfect. That summed that up. Yeah, yeah. So you, you took the bull by the horns, you realized, you know, the flaw that, you know, you're leaving some deals on the table, quite a few. And you called around, you asked around. That's now the requirements to be a broker. That those are those uh -huh. vary from state to state. In some states, 
you know, more than uh, more than a handful, you do not need a broker license to act, you know, to to buy and sell or to 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 help folks sell their personal property, mobile homes in a parks in in parks. So in some states, you don't need any qualifications. In most states or many states, being a broker will allow you to broker mobile homes inside pre-existing parks. And even in some states, you can be a realtor, you know, a real estate agent with traditional properties, and you can still broker mobile homes inside parks. So all states are a little bit different. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me uh, and email me. Um, but I like the fact, and we kind of alluded to this before, a net listing is quite similar, at least, you know, not in paperwork, but with um, the actual kind of procedure. You know, you're going to get a home under contract if you wholesale it. You know, a mobile home in a park for 20000 25000 30000 10000 whatever it might be. And then you're going to go ahead and find a buyer that wants to pay more than what you currently have that contract for. So you wrote the contract up for $20,000. you are going to find a buyer that wants to pay $30,000. Or you're going to maybe advertise it for thirty. Assume that there's going to be some negotiation and settle around you know, $25,000, $26,000, making you still that money in between. Now, it's not a net listing, but it is very similar. It would be wholesaling the property. So did you actually, before you were a broker, did you ever wholesale properties? The mobile homes in parks? Yeah. Yeah, I had like two or three deals that were um, wholesale. So, you know, I would have the homes on contract. I tried to set up the closing day about 30 days from the day I wrote the agreement with uh, the seller. And I told them basically the way I kind of had it, and I'm not sure if this is how you do it or other people do it, but I would tell them that I just, you know, wanted to put the door lock on the, uh, or lockbox on the door. And um, periodically, I would like to show my the homes to some partners, <laughs> and uh, you know, so I'd show their home. I was basically brokering their home, um, and uh, without getting the for sale sign in the window and everything. So it was just uh, I did a couple deals that way, um, but it just never really for me. Um, it just seems so much easier now as a broker, you know, being a broker for it because I, I could put my signs in the windows. I can put it on all these websites. I, you know, I get to flash my brand, uh, by being a broker more than I could just with investing. So, um, you know, it keeps the brand alive, which I really like. So. Heck yeah. So folks that are listening to become a broker, you know, again, things vary from state to state, but as a backup, you know, wholesaling the property, that's absolutely a possibility. I did want to mention one thing that, again, the reason why I had you mention this, Dan, in the beginning was that Colorado is a unique market. You know, think coastal areas of California. Think, you know, the Washington, D.C., Virginia coastal area, the New Orleans area. Um, all these areas are kind of hot spots. People are going to these areas. You know, Washington State, the coastal area, and pretty much any coastal area, or a lot of coastal areas, people are going to be kind of flocking to. So you just have these, you know, you have cash buyers willing to overpay for mobile homes. You know, some of these mobile homes that you're, you know, brokering, if they were located outside of the city limits or in a different state, they would be worth a quarter of the price. Or there would be nobody wanting to pay cash for these homes. So don't just, you know, everyone listening, don't think that, you know, oh, there's so many cash buyers everywhere in the world. 
And that's not the case. The fact that, you know, 90% of the deals that we resell most of the times around the country are for payments. And that's because there are millions of payment buyers. And usually there are a few cash buyers. But obviously, Dan, you're in like this anomaly area of your state. Um, and just your state in general, there's more people flocking to it, you know, with, with cash. So I just kind of wanted to point that out. You know, this, this isn't right for everyone, but the opportunity to wholesale, you know, the occasional deal or at least have that bullet in your belt, you can still wholesale mobile homes in parks. You can show the homes with the owners still living there. And ultimately, everyone, you know, is hopefully going to do what they say they're going to do. You're going to have a buyer that buys the home. Your seller is going to sell it. You make the money in between, um, and everyone's happy. Uh, going back to the beginning, you know, you've made almost ten thousand dollars on some of these net listings, and you've made, I think, the lowest was five was five hundred dollars. What happened to that five hundred dollar deal? Was that just an experience, or you thought you could sell it for more? Or, yeah, what was the deal that you only made 500 on that one? What was it? Yeah, so truthfully, that was my first deal ever. Um, and I didn't even have, like, the type of paperwork. I, I just knew that I can do it, and I kind of just mocked up some type of agreement with somebody. Um, yeah, it was, that was the weirdest one ever, really. But, I, you know, I kind of just jumped into it um, without really knowing what to do from there. Um, that's when I had my agreements written up by a lawyer and everything and kind of made it a lot more official. Um, so it was, it was really weird the deal. Um, you know, as a broker, sometimes I have to, you know, cut checks and get my money involved in the deal too. So you have to definitely, it's not just, it's not straight up like handing one, somebody's money to, uh, another party, like there's times where I have to cut a check and get involved a little bit as well. Um, and with that one, so yeah, well, I mean, with that one, you know, I, I basically, I think when I was starting off, I was having the buyers write the checks to me and then I was cutting the sellers the check, the check. Um, so that's the perfect, uh, example. Um, and, and then accounting a nightmare too. So I don't, I don't advise that at all. Um, but, uh, there are times where, you know, I have to take down a down payment and, um, and I hold that earnest money into my escrow account. And, um, so there's times where just kind of, I'm going to have to cut checks, you know, if there's say an excessive amount uh, that was on the earnest money that needs to go back to the seller after the home sold. Um, so, I mean, there are some times where, you know, as the broker, um, I have to cut checks and it's just probably a little different than say real estate agents and what they do. Sure. So. Well, you're, you're being a kind of a one-stop shop. I mean, you go to great lengths to make sure these properties sell for a good reason. Yeah, I definitely, my goal is to just make everybody happy and make it easy for everybody and try to be um, have the communication open for everybody and that's with the park managers as well. And, um, definitely provide a solid service because, you know, I do want them talking good things about me at the end of the day. So. Damn right. Now, any situation, whether investing or brokering where, you know, you were confident, okay, here's what I do. This is what I always do. And then it turned around and kind of it backfired or kind of bite you in the bitch in the butt or anything like that that you can think of. <sighs> 
Yeah, thankfully, not too many times um, <laughs> that I've, I've never I've never lost money on a deal. I'd say the one deal that I learned so much on um, was a home where a client had actually accidentally shot himself in the house. Um, crazy story, but um, I'll kind of start it from the beginning. Um, somebody had contacted me as kind of like an agent saying that they have somebody that wanted to buy a home. So I was like, all right, well, you know, he told me that he was a cash buyer and I wanted just to locate the home, kind of like, again, be a broker. Um, this is actually before I was even brokering. Um, and um, so I wanted to match up the buyer and the seller. But, uh, you know, I knew that there were uh, a few abandoned homes at a park. Um, that is a 55 plus community that they were trying to sell me, but you know, I, I called them up, you know, I asked them for a little tour of their inventory, went into a home. I thought it was like, it was habitable. Um, it was taken for five years. Um, and, uh, the person who actually connected me with the buyer turned out to be, uh, an inspector. And um, he inspected the property, and I, this is—I was clueless going into this deal. This is a nightmare from the get-go. Um, yeah, it's been called my nightmare house, and the story just keeps going on and on with this place. But long story short, is I had the home inspected and everything, and the guy said everything was legit and fine. So the buyer, you know, I paid five hundred dollars for the home. The buyer wrote me uh, two thousand dollars as down payment. And he turned out he wasn't a cash buyer, so we're going to finance it. <laughs> At the closing table, I find out that he doesn't have cash. So, you know, I winged up a finance agreement with him and uh, took $2,000 down, which is, I was I was stoked about. You know, I bought it for $500 in the same day, sold it for 2000 down, uh, carrying an $8,000 note. Um, so the guy moved in, like, a couple days later, um, moved in before, like, the heat was turned on, the electric was turned on. And I, I don't know why I didn't think of having a home inspected until the utilities are actually on, but uh, this is like lesson learned, right? You know, first and foremost, don't buy a home where the utilities and electric aren't turned on. And then second of all, never put a note on an abandoned home. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I learned a lot in that lesson because I had to fix the electrical, the plumbing, the gas line had to be replaced. Um, had to get a new furnace into the home, used one, thankfully, but it just costed me like 5K. And I was in the hole for it for a while, and the guy stopped making payments. And then, well, recently, he accidentally shot himself. Uh, believe it or not, he was cleaning guns, and it was a, you know, he was drinking and accidentally shot himself. But I cleaned up the house, you know, I didn't have to clean up that mess, but um, did resell the property for a quick uh, $8,000. So I, I was floating above water with it all when it all said no. <laughs> was that one of your first properties? Were, were we together at that, at that time? Uh, we were not together, although I, you know, was with you um, at the resell time period. I actually resold it last month or two months ago now. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that was like my fourth or fifth home. You know, I came off of a really good month, and, man, I was so, like, high off of that because I had made like $8,000 in another quick deal, the wholesale deal. And, um, yeah, I wasn't making that kind of money so easily at my co-corporate jobs. Uh, 
Um, you know, I thought I could pull a quick one, and I, I did technically, but it turned out to really bite me in the butt. <laughs> Understood. So lessons learned. Let's recap that again. It was don't buy a vacant or get power on and verify what works and doesn't work. And then what else? Yeah, uh, make sure that the utilities are on. I mean, the, the I think, it, what was it called, red flag or something like that when the utilities um aren't turned on. Anyway, yeah, make sure all the utilities are turned on. That's gas, electric. Uh, make sure the plumbing is okay. Uh, make sure the furnace is working. Um, and then just, you know, the electric did work, but it was like the home could have burned down in two seconds worth of time because it was like the previous homeowner probably from like 30 years ago um, did the electricals. But with that deal, by the way, that was in 1960. So don't put older, you know, any pre-HUD homes or nah, maybe not pre-owned homes, but homes in the 60s, I think I know it. I think that's a, a risk that you're uh, running into, uh, if you, you know, a future risk that you'll run into if it's a long note and everything. So this was a 1960 Marlette, and, uh, yeah, it was uh, – that shape. Well said. Well, it's got, you know, 10, 20, 30 families. Well, not that many, but it's got so many families living in it, everyone kind of doing their own little Frankenstein repairs here and there. And then when you get the home, it might have been sitting, sitting vacant for six months or a year. Now you got to go get it permitted and inspected just to get the power turned on to find out that stuff doesn't work. So... Because so get the fact that you act, you know, everything did work out and a great learning lesson, like you said. Um, Anything else that you would, um, you know, talk about for brokering? I mean, we've talked about so much. We've certainly went over the 20 minutes that we normally have for for podcasts, but we've just talked about so much good stuff. Um, anything else that you would um, leave with people, you know, right now that are investing in mobile homes, they're thinking about investing in mobile homes, anything else you'd say on the brokering side or on the investing side? I think just in terms of if you're looking to, like, step into mobile homes, um, and John, I can talk about this stuff all day long. I think you already know that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, if you're looking to like step into the space, um, you know, trust your gut, you know, definitely j- jump into it. You know, you got to jump into it. When I uh, was working at my corporate job, I was miserable there and I uh, wasn't really making that great of money. Uh, it was okay, but it wasn't anything special. It was at a startup. Uh, when a company is struggling, but you know, I got into mobile homes, and my first month, I made a quick—I mean, quick four thousand dollars—and I was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> the, the, the light bulb went off, and I was like, "If I did this full time, oh man, I can do a couple homes at one time." So I think you just got to really, you know, go for it. You know, there's only one way to do it, and that's getting dirty in it, you know, in the space. So you know, trust your gut, um, be brave. And uh, it's going to be hard. It's not always going to be easy. It's very, it's very rewarding, but stressful at times. And uh, but you got to just keep a positive attitude and uh, go for it. So, heck yeah, well said. The 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 struggle, the the ups and downs we take. I mean, do you feel like you're a different person than you were six months ago and a year ago? Like you're always. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> It was night and day different. You know, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and I got, like, a lot of books, and, like, it's all just gone toward self-development. I mean, whether you're spiritual or not, I I always say, or religious or not, you know, I always say that this venture has been, like, the most spiritual experience I've ever dealt with, just, like, 
dealing with all these different types of people. And then you got to be careful the people that are trying to trick you. And, you know, you just got to really feel people out. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a heck of an adventure. I mean, you got to really trust yourself and, um, yeah, take on other, you know, activities that kind of, you know, keep you sane <laughs> as you're as you're working through it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right, and you're the one. I mean, being being your own boss is the could be the greatest or worst thing for you. I mean, you have to wear all the hats. You have to kick yourself in the butt every day. You have to learn from experiences. You had talked about now a bookshelf full of you know books, self help, or business. Are is are there one or two that uh, stand out since we're on that subject? You know, books that you've read that yeah. you're like, oh. These ones for sure. Well, you know, I, everybody's going to say Thinking Girl Rich and uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, which are totally cool books. I you know, even Cashflow Quadrant. But um, I think one book, two books I just wish I read like when I was a kid are Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then I, I want to say The Alchemist, even though it's not like uh, it's, a, it's a, a fiction. Not, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fiction. But, you know, I think it, the message is pretty well said about following your heart and, um, you know, trusting your gut um, and taking chances, which, you know, I think that is everything for entrepreneurship. But uh, lots of other good books out there, and hopefully I'll get to talk to you guys about that one another time. <laughs> Heck, yeah, I would love to have you back for another podcast for sure. I know there's – we're just skimming the surface of this topic, and there are so many more topics and stories we can talk about. So – Thank you so much for being here, opening up your business, going way longer than we normally do. Um, seriously, thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Yeah, I totally appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, for having me on here. The ideas and advice given in today's episode are for entertainment purposes only. If you have future ideas or questions for upcoming episodes, please email us at support at mobilehomeinvesting.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, the biggest compliment you can give is to like and share this podcast with your friends. 